This is Living Catholic with Father Don Wolf. Living Catholic is a fresh look at issues confronting each of us today. This show deals with living Catholic, what that means for Catholics, as well as the impact on the rest of society. You certainly don't have to be Catholic to enjoy this show. And now your host, Father Wolf. Welcome, Oklahoma, to Living Catholic. I'm Father Don Wolf, pastor at St. Eugene in Oklahoma City. And we have some sterling news today. No doubt you've heard. We have an official date for the beatification of Father Stanley Rother. Just the other day, the Archbishop received the news from the Vatican that he's been waiting for. On September the 23rd, this coming September, Father Rother will be beatified. It's official, and we are on our way. This is the first time there will be a priest born in the United States and ordained here who has been declared a martyr of the church and will have been given the name holy or blessed. Father Rother from Little Okarchi, Oklahoma, on the border of Canadian and Kingfisher counties, will join the ranks of the blessed. His official title now will be Blessed Father Stanley Rother. It's a title unlike any other priest from the United States has ever received. I suppose... Beatification is a mark that a country has gained entrance into the history of the church through its own participation in the life and the activities of the gospel, just as in previous ages when the frontier of Europe finally joined the heartland of the church in the Roman Empire, the U.S. will finally join the ranks of those nations who have raised up martyrs and saints to the faith. We who had previously been outside in the roll call of nations, will have our own example, our own son, our own representative among those who populate the choir of the blessed. And that it has happened from here in Oklahoma, a state still officially listed as mission territory among the dioceses in the United States, well, that's its own irony. We who receive missionaries are now the source of hope for missionaries all through the world. God has a sense of humor if we have the strength and the wisdom to laugh at what God accomplishes in his will. The ceremony itself will be a large gathering at the Cox Center in Oklahoma City. That will be the large gathering. There will be a number of smaller ones. Catholics from all over the state, indeed from all over the region and all over the country, will be invited to attend. The intention is to make this a signal event for everyone. After all, nothing like this has ever happened before. It will be a solemn mass at which the papal delegate will read the official announcement signed by the Pope, naming Father Rother among the elect. In the past, we've had celebrations at the same venue, including the millennial celebration, as we welcomed the third millennium of Christianity in the year 2000, the 100th anniversary of the founding of the diocese, and a collective celebration of Pentecost there in 2005. This will dwarf all of these. The details are yet to be planned, and when they are, they will become public. And when you hear of them, make every effort to respond as soon as you can. After all, we're talking about a space that holds a little more than 15,000 people. But when we start adding up those who might want to come to this unique event, I'm sure that space will be limited. There will be more information when that becomes available. I'm also sure that Catholic television and radio will cover the event as it happens and will have a schedule of playbacks. After all, if these media can cover the annual bishops' meetings in Washington, D.C., which are excruciatingly boring, they'll be here in Oklahoma City to cover this event, probably from wall to wall. Again, you'll receive more information when it becomes available from this station. So stand by. This will be an authentically big deal. Blessed Stanley Rother. 
Now, you've no doubt heard the story of Father Rother, so I'll recap for just a minute, just in case you have not heard it in its completeness before. Stanley was born in Okarchi, Oklahoma, the first child and first son of Franz Rother and Gertrude Smith in 1935. He lived a normal life in this small town west of Oklahoma City. He had four siblings, two sisters and two brothers. He lost one of his sisters in infancy. When he was 18, he announced after high school that he intended to go to the seminary to become a priest. Now, that was a new announcement to his family, and it caused a bit of consternation. He hadn't done anything to prepare for the hard work of beginning seminary and pursuing his studies, most of which would be in Latin. Indeed, he'd spent his high school years in future farmers of America and in courses in agriculture rather than in Latin. But the truism was never truer than in his case. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. In that vein, he headed off to the seminary the following fall. By the way, his younger brother did study Latin in high school, and that brother became a farmer. Things don't always work out exactly as we see them, but then again, that's usually a blessing to all of us. And of course, we have to admit, Stanley's choice was hardly unique for a young man growing up in the most Catholic town in all of Oklahoma. At about that time, Okarchi was being recognized nationally as a place that provided more vocations to the priesthood and religious life than any other place its size in all of the United States. So having Stanley decide to put on the collar to the seminary was hardly the daring and innovative option we might think it would be today. In fact, Stanley's sister opted to go to the convent the same year. She was only 17. She and Stan would go off to their vocations at the same time, he to the seminary in San Antonio and she to the convent in Wichita. Hearing God's call, of course, always requires discernment. Simply following one's heart is not sufficient. It may bring a man to the seminary, it can't keep him there. Looking at his academic performance eventually, the faculty voted after his fifth year in the seminary to have him leave. He went back home, but the bishop was convinced his vocation was authentic and intervened in order to put him back in the seminary, as it turned out, to another seminary. And Stan graduated from there and was ordained in 1963. Following his ordination, he was assigned throughout Oklahoma at the time, including parishes in Oklahoma City, in Tulsa, and in Durant. Oklahoma had sponsored a mission to Guatemala beginning in 1965, and in 1968, Stan asked to be sent there. He went that same year, 1968. It was a difficult and intricate assignment. He had to learn two additional languages in order to be effective there. The first was Spanish, the official language of the country, and the second was one called Tzutujil, the language of the Mayan people of the village of Santiago Atitlan, where the mission was located. Not only that, Stan was cut off from much of the support of his friends and family in Oklahoma, and he joined the mission team already in place there. Santiago Atitlan is a relatively isolated place, and in the year, the days before cell phones and wireless connections, it was extremely isolated. Even mail took a long time to reach. And so Stanley's arrival there placed him in a very much a isolated and separated situation, but he was undeterred and ready to begin as he arrived. Over the course of the next several years, he made quick progress in learning the languages and making himself useful in the work to do there. 
Eventually, the original team who had been there when he arrived left, and he became the pastor. By the mid-1970s, it turned out he was the only Oklahoman left working there. He had found his special place there in Santiago where his talents and abilities were most needed and most appreciated. He worked hard to bring those people into his heart and to share his heart and his hands with them. We'll take a little break uh, and mention our premier sponsor, McLaren's Pantry. You can call Kathy Busson there for your catering needs at 405-348-2336 or go by to see her at 3414 South Boulevard in Edmond. Back in just a moment. Day by day. Back Oklahoma to our discussion of the life and the ministry of Father Stanley Rother. I'm Father Don Wolf, pastor at St. Eugene in Oklahoma City. When Stanley Rother went to Guatemala and took up residence there in the mission and began his work among the people, there were other forces that were also at work in the country. Agitation for land reform and change in the structure of power and governance in the country had been a staple among the people for years. Along with this agitation, there was a communist-inspired insurgency just beginning to get started, alongside many other groups and parties wanting change in a system that impoverished the vast majority of Guatemalans and left the country very low on the list of places of human thriving. Those forces also came to the village of Santiago. The government of Guatemala responded by having the army occupy the village in 1979. There then began a heavy-handed anti-insurgency campaign to root out any opposition to the government. The campaign included kidnapping, coercion, torture, murder, and intimidation. Father Rother was charged with pastoring his people all through those difficult events. They were monumental. More than a hundred people in his parish were dragged away to be tortured and killed by the forces of the army in their occupation. He himself was threatened by those same forces. In February of 1981, he received notice that his name was on a list of those to be killed. Word reached him of this, so he and his Guatemalan associate pastor quickly came to Oklahoma to get out of the line of fire. Stanley returned back to Guatemala after two months, after receiving word that the tensions there in the parish had moderated. So he returned to his village in time to celebrate Holy Week with them in April of 1981. It was later on in the summer, things took a turn for the worse. In July of that year, the tensions again were heightened. On the night of the 28th of July, at about one o'clock in the morning, several men entered the rectory, found him, and attempted to kidnap him. He fought them off and resisted so strongly, they eventually shot him in his bedroom. They fired a bullet into his chest and another into his head. Another shot missed and gouged out a hole in the tile. He died on the floor of his bedroom. This was his martyrdom. He could have left Guatemala at any time for the protection of the United States. There was nothing preventing him from using his passport to board a plane and leave any time he wanted. But he stayed. 
partly because it was his parish and his life. He wasn't going to be pushed out of what his vocation had become. But mostly it was because his own parishioners were affected by the threats and problems and danger in the village. They didn't have the freedom to leave, and he didn't want to abandon them. He reasoned in a letter he sent to a friend of his, The shepherd does not run in time of danger, but stays and protects his sheep. That's what he wanted to do, to stay where he was needed. The word martyr just comes from the word in Greek that means witness. Father Rother witnessed his concern and his vocation to his people by the conviction to stay and to suffer with them and for them. And what we're left now is with his example. The church recognizes him as a real witness to the life of the faith and has named him a martyr. Now the church recognizes him and his example as an authentic blessing, and he has blessed the church. What he had done was contribute to the witness of the authentic message of Christ to all of us. This is perhaps the most important thing to know about Father Rother and his example. The church acknowledges what he did is not simply an example of missionary service, and it's not just an example of authentic priestly life. That is, that it's only for missionaries and for priests. It is an example of what it means to be a believer and what being a believer is really like. Father Stanley Ruther is a model for anyone who wants to know what living the life of Christ is like. His life is now given to the whole world and for all time. So anyone who wishes to believe will know how to believe. That might not sound all that important, but let me repeat an idea given to me by an article that in all things was in an archeology span magazine. It was by a priest who had spent a lifetime digging in Syria who wrote an article about his activities there. And while he was talking about it, he was reflecting on his life, and he made the point that Christian belief isn't something anyone can encounter by unearthing artifacts. You can learn a lot about the past and the meaning of belief, but you'll never get to the heart of things by such means. Christianity, after all, he said, is given from one person to another by living witness. It lights up the heart of a person through the encounter from one person to another. And as this encounter happens, the presence of Christ becomes known and it becomes real. The person who meets a believer and then becomes a believer is then connected to the chain of belief from that person to the person who witnessed to him, to witness to him, to him, to him, all the way back to the very beginning, to the very person of Jesus himself. Now, this is the important thing. Because Christian belief is a product of encounter and connection, if it ever died out, it could never be recovered because there would be no encounter and no connection. If there were a permanent break in the chain, it could never be regained. And not only that, if it were to die out, if no one further was ever transformed by the encounter again, then there had been no true encounter. If there were no believers in its wake, then it was not true, and it had never been true to begin with. That puts a premium on what it means to believe. It's not just a matter of having something in our heads or in our hearts. Believing means to be transformed such that we transform others. But it also means the chain of belief is alive and strong in the witness and belief of all who have to believe and will believe. It means the witness of Father Stanley Ruther 
remains real for all of us who put our faith in Christ. You don't have to be a missionary or a pastor or a priest or a seminarian in order to know the message of Blessed Stanley and to know that it's for you. You don't have to be threatened by the powers of this world or be intimidated by the prospect of death to know there is such a one who saw through the weakness of such forces in order to find life and hope. And all of us benefit from the witness Stanley's life gives to us. All of us are enriched and encouraged by what we receive from his life. This is why his being named blessed is so important for all of us. Yes, he is from Oklahoma, and we all live in Oklahoma. Yes, he's the product of life and witness of Oklahomans and our particular experience of the faith here. And yes, he is a son of the soil and a product of the peculiar world of German Catholics, a world so many of us have touched in our lives. But apart from the particular details of his own examples, Stanley was a believer whose belief and confidence in the presence of Jesus in his own life transfigured the circumstances of his life and gave him a whole new way of living. When Stanley wrote the return to Guatemala after taking refuge in Oklahoma for two months, he was happy to return to what had become his home. He did not return to Guatemala in order to die as a martyr. He returned to his mission home in order to go on living. His faith was not a faith that diminished life and exalted death. It was faith in the power of Christ to overcome the threat and the power of death in every way. And when the moment came, in the morning of July the 28th, 1981, Stanley Rother had lived every moment with the intensity and the power only a believer can. When his blood was spilled on the floor of his bedroom, he had already lived a life transfigured in Christ, a life larger than a life normally can be, even if it was a life extending to his 99th birthday. His life wasn't measured by how many calendar pages he had turned or how many times he had put a calendar up and taken it down off of his wall. He had lived a life that was full, full to the bursting, full enough that it was a blessed life for everybody. This is the witness to the world. It is the message of his martyrdom. There is life greater than life. And when we find it, it makes our lives into life. Just as a frame is what makes a picture, so the boundaries of living define our lives. At the moment when Stanley's life was framed by his death, his life became more than simply the passage of time. He became a gift to all who believe. That's why he's blessed. That's why we will celebrate and remember this day coming up, the 23rd of September. And just so you know, the next step in this process is canonization. It's a complicated word that simply means we add to the list. When Stanley is canonized, that's what the word canon means, a list. When Stanley is canonized, his name will be added to the list of saints in heaven, and we will be assured of his presence among the saints in glory. And we wait for that day whenever it will arrive. But we know God has already made Father Stanley Rother a saint. We're just waiting for all the paperwork to catch up. The church has to be sure of the witnesses that she holds up for example and veneration. So the paperwork is nothing to sneeze at. But in the end, we're just waiting for the good sense to acknowledge what has been true since that early morning hour 
of July the 28th. Stanley Rother, Servant of God, blessed in God's grace by his life and death, embodies the presence of Christ by the example of his selfless witness to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Stanley Rother's life is a gateway to the life of Jesus who himself opens the way to heaven. And as Father Richard Rohr says, all the way to heaven is heaven. So it was for Stanley. So it will be for us. Back in just a moment. Follow me more Welcome back to our final segment, Faith in Verse. We have a poem today called Time in Its Courses. The years do not flow in an ever rapidly running stream, carrying forward through the valley to the lustrous sea. In memory, perhaps, we recall flying as if in a dream, but from today to tomorrow moves only difficultly. We worry and work our frets and sorrows onward stumbling, in fits and starts, making tomorrow today anxious and chill. Not conquest and triumphant, we're baffled, questing, mumbling. The exercise of decision and action all firm of will. So let us not think so easily of the days tripping by, nor imagine we are to glide smoothly into our destiny. Ideation can become, by mere habit, in truth, a lie, obscuring sure the struggles which are, in fiend, the best of me, and grasp for the moment here before us, present now, to live and trust so as to know the door that opens to us all, walk out dangling over the chasm of tomorrow's bow, unconcerned by the inevitable temptation to slip and fall. That's time in its courses. As many people have already mentioned, the transition from beatification to canonization, especially for one who is already designated a martyr, is really a, a miracle attributed to the intercession of Father Rother. Of course, there have been any number of miracles that have already been attributed to his intercession. But according to my associate, who is an expert in canon law, it's uh, in this area, this time after his beatification, that these miracles are attended to and uh, are analyzed and count for his process of canonization. So what we wait for is that demonstration, that proof that uh, through his powerful intercession that something extraordinary indeed has taken place. In the extraordinary things that have happened due to his intercession so far, there seems to be a kind of pattern where those most in need seem to be young people and those who have prayed for his intercession have been involved in situations in which young people's lives have been threatened, especially those threatened medically. And so perhaps because of those who have uh, sought his grace by intercession, that uh, these particular miracles are uh, I guess maybe the area in which 
Father Rother's intercession is most powerful. But we'll keep a track of that. Again, no one knows when this will happen. We all hope soon. My great dream is that there will be some of us still left when he is canonized who actually knew him when he was alive, that all of us might have the chance to testify to the depth of his sanctity by the power of his life. That's what we do on Living Catholic. We hope to penetrate down to the depths and the foundations of what it means to be living this life of faith, a life not that we have pursued, but that has been gifted to us by the power of baptism and the life that we live in the church. I hope that in the weeks to come that you can continue to join us on this journey. I hope to see you then. Living Catholic is a production of Blue Cardinal Concepts, copyright 2017.